the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm alright, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of my of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. We turn our attention to health care. My guest this hour is a health care professional who believes proactive patient education enables those accessing the health care system to be better partners in their health care. And, uh, and he states as much in his uh, new book called How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival. His name is Dr. David Wilcox, and he joins me by phone. Hi, David. Welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me today. Really looking forward to the discussion. Um, David, oh, survival is kind of a strong word. <laughs> um, in the in the title of the book, you say, you know, I mean, the title itself says it's a patient's handbook for survival. Um, are, are we talking about actual life and death survival, or are we talking about surviving all those clipboards we fill out in uh, waiting rooms? We're talking about both, um, <laughs> and and life and death survival is definitely a part of the book. I've seen a, a lot of things in my tenure as a hospital administrator that have happened. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the uh, third leading cause of death is medical errors. So, I mean, take that in for a minute. You've got heart disease, you've got cancer, and then you've got medical errors. 
Um, that's what caused me to write this book. Healthcare is complex. You know, it's complex for a reason because the entities who are buying for your healthcare dollars want to keep it complex so you don't really know what's going on. Um, there's so many different facets of this book. So some of the personal stories David, in it. David, let, let me back up just, just for a moment okay. because you said um, that, you know, they want it to be complicated. Is it intentional? Because it often seems like it's just spun out of control. Yes, it is intentional. So let's take into account the Price Transparency Act um, executive order that President Trump put in that took hold this January 1st, 2021. So there's a $300 fine associated with organizations that do not produce price transparency at hospitals to say, hey, if you're going to get a total need, this is what it's going to cost, um, which roughly is about $110,000 a year. Uh, but the hospitals still aren't doing it. I mean, a recent analysis of 500 hospitals found that 94.4% of the hospitals haven't met all the requirements. They'd rather just pay the fine. Um, so, you know, you can't, you can't call your local hospital and say, how much is my total need going to cost? They're not going to give you that information. There's a reason for that. Um, it costs more if you're at a hospital. If you're healthier and you get it done at an ambulatory surgical center, you're going to shave off some money. This is just stuff that the American people do not know, and they really need to know. Well, let me let me share a quick story that happened to me with you, and and see where we go from there. I it, I visited a cardiologist who wanted me to take a stress test, and at the time I didn't have health care insurance, so as you might imagine, I asked him, "Well, how much is that going to cost?" And he said, about $1,200. And I said, well, that's all the stress I can handle. So, you know, I, I don't think we'll be doing the test. I get a call a couple days later from their office, and they've figured out another test they can substitute that's going to cost me $150, which I gladly pay for and take the test. But my point is, I wasn't given that option right from the get-go, and I was paying all out of pocket. Most people, health care insurance is paying for it. They don't know how much these things cost. Um, so how common is that, and, and doesn't it end up meaning that the $300 fine is considerably less than the potential earnings? Yes. Um, so a good example is, I had the same test, cardiac stress test, covered underneath, uh, covered under insurance. They billed my insurance about $2,500 for it, and I think I might have paid maybe 200 My wife had the same stress test done, but she was out of network. So they billed $12,000 for that same test. And, uh, you know, <laughs> and the I, company I thought my example was extreme, <laughs> David. <laughs> <laughs> And the insurance company paid ten thousand of it, so we got we were on the hook for two thousand of it. But um, it, it's so variable; it, it depends on what you have. And sometimes people do better negotiating without insurance, like you did uh, for the test that you had. You know, they figured out that they could do something different for you and called you back because you were a problem patient. You were, you didn't want to you didn't want to pay that much money for a test. Well, yeah, I just, so, I just refused. It wasn't even a matter of refusing. I didn't have the money at the time. Right. So let's, let's explore that for a second, Tom. So 
Right now, we exist in a fee-for-service um, type of environment in healthcare, which means when you show up, you're actually, the doctor is making money. If he, he's incentivized to order tests for you and things because he continues to get reimbursement that way. What a lot of Americans don't know, and I cover in this book, is that there is another system out there called value-based care. And so, you know, the doctor isn't incentivized to, you know, you, your GP isn't incentivized to call your cardiologist and talk back and forth, right? You might read the notes. But in value-based care, that's a game changer. So they get a certain amount of money to manage your care. And if they can keep you healthy and out of the hospital, they get to keep the profit. If they can't, then they're going to be on the hook for what's left. So not a lot of people know about value-based care. And I'll tell you a little story that happened in my family. So my sister, um, her husband, my brother-in-law, he had a total hip done, and he was on a, a bundled payment, which is a value-based care model. They get a certain amount to keep him in network, do the surgery, and then they get to keep the profits if they keep him healthy. Well, they gave my brother-in-law opioid painkillers. Now, my brother-in-law doesn't drink. He's, you know, he's never had anything that strong. He went home, and he had heart palpitations. And so they rushed him to the emergency room because they thought he was having a heart attack. And it turns out that it was a pain medication, that it was a side effect of the pain medication. So then my sister says to me, oh, it's so wonderful. You know, after we went to the emergency department, they're bringing nurses out to check on him every day, and it's all free. And I said, well, wait a minute, sis. I said, it's not exactly free. I said, what they're doing is that emergency department visit, they had to eat it because you're on a bundled payment. I said, so because of that, of course they're going to come out and check on you to make sure you don't go back to the emergency room. Value-based care is a game changer. It's administered by accountable care organizations across the country who go at risk, and their job is to keep you healthy and out of the hospital. The numbers show it. They show it in Medicare Advantage that if you're, if you're under a value-based care system, you're going to do much better than if you're under a fee-for-service system. Now, do, do you explain in the book where people can find these options? Because most people are just responding to stuff they get in the mail. Yeah, exactly. So, and you know, and that's meant to make the person who's mailing it a profit. Um, but you can call your local hospital. Well, I start with your doctor because it sends a good message. Hey, are you under a value-based care model? I understand that the numbers show significantly better care under value-based care. So if he's not under a value-based or she's not under a value-based care model, they start to think about that, right? Because we need to change healthcare um, away from fee-for-service. And then you can check with your local hospital to see who, who's administering an accountable care organization. So basically a web search and then get yourself with a doctor who, who will do that and they'll, you know, and they keep you networked on a team. So it's more of a team sport than it is under fee-for-service where you're just getting incentivized to see patients and see as many as you can. It's kind of funny because during this pandemic, when, the hosp when we, the taxpayers, were bailing out the hospital, um, hospitals because people weren't going to the hospital because of the pandemic, value-based care actually saved $4.1 billion in 2020. Um, they didn't need a bailout because they got incentivized no matter if you showed up or if you didn't show up. So it's a much better system, both economically for America as well as to drive better patient outcomes. Does it matter what kind of health care people have 
when they start looking for value care, I mean, uh, Medicare or expanded Medicaid or, or uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, you know, does, does it does it matter what health care they currently have when they start looking? Can they um, opt for that as part of it, their health care package? I, I don't know how that works. Yeah, it does matter because everybody incentivizes differently. But what it does do, and the insurance companies like it because they're not as at risk for you at that point. They're paying a certain amount of money for you to be taken care of. Um, most of them have arrangements with ACOs, so accountable care organizations, and so they would prefer you did that anyway because it costs them less money and they get to keep the profit. And insurance is a whole different business. Um, you know, the insurance companies here in America, they, they're middlemen, and, they, you know, and they're making tons of money. Um, they return 15 to 25% profit every quarter to their shareholders, uh, and that's money that you and I are spending, right, in healthcare. So it's, it's very interesting, the model that we have set up. And uh, what I tried to do in this book is break it down into layman's terms so the average American could understand exactly what was going on you know, behind the scenes, and they would be able to decipher what they needed to do and, you know, um, have somebody who's advocating for them. That's the whole purpose of the book. And, and again, I'll, I'll uh, mention the name of the book. It is uh, How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival by Dr. David Wilcox. Um, David, I have to take a uh, a break here in a uh, well, uh, just under two minutes, and and I want to talk some more. Can you stick around so we can explore this some more? I sure can, Tom. Okay, be glad to. Um, now we have just an extra minute or so. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I'll just uh, this. I generally hate when hosts do this, but I'll just tease that I want to go back and pick up on this uh, idea that uh, um, errors are the third largest cause of death. Sure. <laughs> I, I, I want to get into that a little bit when we come back, if that's okay with you. Um, that's perfect. My guest is uh, Dr. David Wilcox. He is the author of How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival. And we're going to take a short break and let our broadcast partners at WFOV, Our Voices Radio, 92.1 LPFM in Flint, squeeze in a few words or do whatever they uh, do when we go to break. They are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House spectacle productions and my good friend uh, paul herring so we'll let them squeeze a few words in if you're streaming us at tomsumnerprogram.com we have some messages as well and then uh, we'll return and talk some more with dr david wilcox author again that the uh, title of the book is how to avoid being a victim of the american Healthcare system a patient's handbook for survival so don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. We've got a lot more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead with Dr. David Wilcox. And I think before we finish the show, we'll, uh, we'll have another rendering of Schlocktober, which is where we play a really horrible song, and I think we'll be featuring William Shatner. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi. .gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. 
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. My guest this hour is the author of uh, a new book. It's uh, called How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, a Patient's Handbook for Survival by Dr. David Wilcox. And David joins me by phone. David, welcome back, and thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. That's okay, Tom. Um, now, we were talking about in the last segment, you mentioned that, uh, that errors in, in health care are the third leading cause of death in the U.S. Um, is, is that surgical boo-boos, medication boo-boos, everything combined? Is that that, that old Bill Cosby thing, oops? <laughs> yeah, it's everything combined. Um, but to build on a point, I would say that medication boo-boos are probably the worst. Um, so there's a part in the book in which I talk about Print off a list of what you currently take. Do not assume that the clinicians are talking to each other. Have multiple copies of the list of medications and supplements that you take and hand them to your intake nurse, the person who's admitting you. Hand them to your doctor. Hand them to the hospitalist. Hand them to the anesthesiologist. Because if you're going to get hurt, chances are it's going to be around medications. Really? Um, and, and actually, I do that because... Um Typically, I'm asked, what do you take? And I have, I, I have no idea what I'm taking. <laughs> I mean, I, I know and I have the list, but I, I couldn't begin to remember it or know what, which things are for. Um, I, well, I, I know when, when they're prescribed, I know that they're being prescribed and what they're being prescribed for. But after that, they're just words I can't pronounce. Well, Tom, we have to work on that because uh, when you're in a hospital environment, you need to ask questions. You need to ask, when they bring you medications, you need to ask what they're for, um, what's the name of the medication, and then if you don't recognize the medication, uh, then you want to say something. So I, was, I did a, another radio show, and the host of the radio show told me that he was with his wife, and they drew up insulin and was going to give his wife insulin. And he said, what are you doing? And he said, well, we're going to give your wife her insulin. And he said, my wife is diabetic. It turns out that they were reading the wrong patient's chart. So wow. you have to know, yeah, you have to know your medications. And you have to understand that there's, you know, there can be three different names for Tylenol. Tylenol in the pill form or in the generic form has a different name than it does in the brand form than it does in the IV form. So it's just craziness, but you have to know what you're taking. Um, and I'll tell you another area. We talked about surgical boo-boos. So a lot of times the surgeons don't want to reconcile your meds when they send you back out to the floor. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll write orders for you while you're in PACU and holding, but they want your doctor or your hospitalist or whoever sees you to reconcile your meds. So there's a period of time sometimes where the meds aren't even reconciled. And, and the floor staff doesn't know. That's um, that's a big thing that I see in healthcare all the time. So again, medications, knowing your medications, being able to print off copies, give it to everybody who you touch in the hospital environment will help keep you safe. Well, I you know I, I make it sound like I'm walking around completely blind, David. But my significant other is a paramedic, 
<laughs> and, and she understands this stuff so much better than I do that, you know, her, her expertise has caused me to become a little bit uh, lazy and, and uh, sort of reliant on her expertise. But, but I suspect there are a lot of people who just trust healthcare professionals to know what's right for them, and they really don't know. Right, and you, the book talks a lot about taking charge of your health care. Um, being an active part of it, being somebody who participates in it, not somebody who's told what to do by the health care team, but actually asking the questions. You know, I, I get the label of being a health care disruptor all the time because I'm the guy who will ask the questions. I strongly believe you have to have a, an advocate with you, especially if you're going for surgery in the hospital, because when you're that sick and you don't feel well, you need somebody there who can look out for you and be able to, you know, be a part of your healthcare team. COVID has complicated that for a lot of people. Um, I've, I've lost people to COVID that, you know, you couldn't be there in the hospital with them. It wasn't allowed. Um, but I did my best to call the nurses every shift and, and see what was going on. And, you know, they asked me questions and I answered their questions and, so um, just having somebody there with you, I said, like, like your significant other is very important when you're in the hospital. What about the aspect of trust? I, I mean, you brought up uh, COVID-19 and somehow COVID-19 has become extremely political in this country, whether to take vaccines, not take vaccines. Mask wearing has become politicized and, and all of that. But at the heart of it is people don't trust elected officials, agency heads, and, and even healthcare professionals and, and other people from the sciences. Um, is, there, is, is, is there a way to realign people's trust in professionals? So to answer that question, what I would say is, you know, many of the healthcare entities are tied to, tied to the government, um, the CDC, the WHO, that kind of stuff. Sure. What we don't have is like an independent platform of clinicians that disseminate information around things like this to say, hey, you know, wearing a mask is better than not wearing a mask. Um, just, you know, that don't have any skin in the game. They just want to help people. So in my book, I talk quite a bit about if you don't have a nurse in your network, because, I mean, nurses really want you to have the optimal outcome. So if you don't have a nurse in your network, find a friend or somebody who's got a nurse relative, take them to lunch, you know, connect with them on social media, because that gives you somebody that you can contact and say, hey, this is going on. What do you think? And, and they'll help you. I mean, that's what we do. That's, you know, that's why we're in the medical profession. Is that at the heart of, of what led you to write the book? Yeah. Um, so I saw a lot of stuff. And, and you'll, if you read the book, you'll see some of the stories in there. That, like a resident who drew up a concentrated form of a medication, delivered it, and killed somebody instantly. Um, there's all kinds of stuff in there. But what, when, I finished, when I finished my doctorate in nursing, I said, you know, what's the best way that I can help people? So when I was an ICU nurse, I could help two patients for 12 hours, right? Then I became a house supervisor, and I could help nurses deliver care to lots of patients 
Then I went into healthcare IT and I could change the way care was delivered in communities. And I thought, how do I reach the average American, man? People that don't know this information, because not knowing this information before you enter the healthcare system is devastating. I mean, it, there's so many things that can happen to you. And I, and then I started putting pen to paper and uh, just, you know, got passionate about it, as you can tell, and put it out there. Self-published it and put it out there. It's, on, it's up on Amazon. And and again, I'm I'm going to repeat the name of the book. It's How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System: A Patient's Handbook for Survival, and uh, it's by Dr. David uh, Wilcox. Um, David, you said that you intentionally wrote this for bas- basically John and Jane Q. Public. Um, that it's uh, not full of uh, medical jargon, or at least that's the impression you gave me. Is that true? Yes. In fact, um, <laughs> the cadence of how I wrote this, so my wife is also a nurse, so we are not lay people, you know. So when I started with this, I have a retired um, aunt who was a school teacher, and I would pass the chapters to her, and I would say, now tell me, if you can understand everything in this. So she was part of my writing team and she would come back and she would say things like, what's body positivity? Or, you know, she, she'd ask me questions. We'd have calls every week. So she helped me to break it down um, into the layperson's terms so that people who pick it up and read it can understand it. And um, so far on Amazon, I've gotten like 25 five-star reviews, what people are saying, even medical professionals, that's very easy to understand. And I was going to ask about that because a lot of people, um, a, a lot of healthcare professionals who write books tend to be writing books to other healthcare professionals, but this one states directly in the title, A Patient's Handbook for Survival. Um, how, how did you decide what what goes in the book? What what are the things that people need to know most? You You talked about you know, understanding your medications and being, you know, in, in touch with all the different people who provide health care to you with that information. But what are some, some other things that patients should be wary of? So I broke the book up into three parts. The first part is how to stay safe within uh, a hospital or a doctor's office, basically being a part of your care. The second part of it is who pays for your care, because you know, your insurance company has a lot of clout in the care you're going to get because they're the payer. And, um, and then the third part of the book is how to build a better system where I talk about technology and I talk about um, value-based care and, you know, even some genetic testing in there and just how do we build a better system uh, so that we can take care of people. It, when you talk about the, the, the different uh, health care insurance providers and so on um how much influence do they have over the people that are giving you care over what treatments they prescribe okay so here's a good example i just read this article the other day um united healthcare has slowly been pushing anesthesiologists out of their network so that they can use their own people and so I know somebody who went and had a surgery and everything was covered in network, but the anesthesiologist wasn't and they got a $10,000 bill for it. The reason why the anesthesiologist 
wasn't covered was because the insurance company decided they were out of network. This person never knew that going in, didn't know the question to ask, is everybody in network or not in network, went to the insurance company and said, you know, hey, I got it where you told me to get it. What, what do you mean this guy's not in network? But they play games like that because they want to make the maximum dollar. Well, that's straight um, out bait and switch, isn't it? Yes, it sure is. And that's another thing people don't know is that's going on. You know, if you're going to get a surgery and they're telling you this is an in-network hospital, you want to ask the question, is everybody who's going to be touching me in-network just to avoid situations like that? See, I, I, I would get stung by that easily because I I make the assumption that the person or the office you know it's a doctor's office and and his staff that often are making the appointments and scheduling you know a procedure and I I just assume that they're picking from lists that you know fit into my coverage yep that's what everybody does and that's not necessarily the case like I said, the, the insurance payers have an awful lot of power. And the way they manipulate the system, um, you know, and then there's pharmacy. I mean, God, I remember I had this dog. She was 16 years old, and she started to have some heart failure. So the vet prescribed Viagra, because not a lot of people know that Viagra was uh, a pulmonary antihypertensive when it was discovered. And once they found out that it had a, an unintended side effect, the price shot up. So my wife goes to a pharmacy, no, no insurance, right, because it's a dog, and um, takes the prescription, and they say, well, it's going to be over $700 for the month's supply. And she's like, that's crazy. So she leaves. She loads, uploads GoodRx, an app that works with you in your local area to find you the best price. She finds the same medication for $63 for the month's supply. The point being that if you can afford to sell it at $63 and make a profit on one side of town, why the heck are you selling it for $700 on the other side of town? And why is that acceptable? And how is it acceptable? Is, is there no oversight? Yeah, so that's, that's the big issue. So um, I think everybody who goes into politics promises to do something about high prescription drug prices. But the pharmaceutical industry is very powerful. They're all going to find 40... us jobs, too, David. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's $43 million in the 2020 election went across both sides of the aisle, right? Over a 20-year period, they spent like $6 billion lobbying um, our politicians. And so it's, it's just like a bipartisan issue. You could score a big win for the American people if we just got together across the aisle and did something about high drug prices, but nobody does it. It comes out in executive orders. I mean, you know, President Trump put out an executive order that said we were going to be the most favored nation and, and get our prescriptions for less money. He said to the pharmacy entities, you've got 60 days to figure it out. Let's meet at the White House. So he called a meeting 60 days later. You know how many of them showed up, Tom? I, I have no idea. Zero. Because it's an executive order. It's got no teeth. If you do a bipartisan, you know, if you issue bipartisan policies, then they're going to have to pay attention. But nobody touches them because everybody's, everybody's taken from them. Well, they have to do something that has the force of law. But, but aren't, there, aren't there agencies um, 
that that overlook this thing? I mean, I'm I'm thinking FDA and CDC and so on, and aren't they putting things in in motion that that have the force of law to to oversee some of these things? They're putting things in motion that benefit the pharmaceutical companies. So here's a good example. Um, there is a law on the books in which Medicare, the HHS, Secretary of HHS, cannot negotiate prices. I'll say that again. There's a law on the book that says the Secretary of the HHS cannot negotiate prices with pharmaceutical companies. The guy who pushed that law through works for a foundation for a pharmaceutical company now making $2 million a year. It's crazy. I mean, this is one of the biggest payers in the American healthcare system. And they're not allowed to go back and say, hey, I'm buying, you know, 40 million low-pressure tablets. You want $2 a tablet, I'll give you a dollar a tablet. Like you can do in other countries because there is a law on the books that says they can't do that. What are some other things that people would be surprised to learn about health care in your book? I think probably what's going to happen in the future. So we look at what's going on right now, especially the great staffing crisis, we call it in the, in the medical field. Um, you know, nurses that retired early or they're traveling and people can't, can't stay staffed to take care of patients. I mean, I, I know a hospital system where I was from in Syracuse, it's just crumbling trying to take care of patients or waiting for days to get beds in the ED. Um, it's, it can't go on like that. I think what we're going to see, well, I know what we're going to see, we're going to see a shift towards more technology. So if your doctor has a conversation with you, let's say you have congestive heart failure and you're under a value-based program, so they, you know, they're responsible for you, and he says, hey, I'm going to give you a wireless scale. You need to weigh yourself once a day. I'm going to give you a blood pressure cuff, and I'm going to give you a, a pulse oximeter, which measures the amount of oxygen in your blood. I want you to run that every day, and then he has a nurse navigator looking at that to keep you healthy. That's going to be the new norm. I think what we're going to see eventually, and especially with all these caregivers leaving the field, is hospitals are going to consist of ICUs, step-down units, and emergency departments. And if you can be taken care of at home with home health, then that's what they're going to do. They're going to send you home instead of keep you in the hospital under a med surge. The numbers out there show that people who are taken care of at home have better outcomes because you can eat what you want and get up and take a walk when you want. When you're at the hospital, you're basically confined, right? And there's a bunch of nasty germs around in a hospital. You have to have everybody washing their hands before they come close to you. Um, and that's another thing that, that people should know. If you're in a hospital and somebody comes in your room and you don't see them wash their hands, you ask them to wash their hands for 30 seconds because that's something you're empowered to do as a patient. Well, it's fascinating how much, you know, for as, as important as healthcare is in our everyday lives, how much we don't know about it. And that's what makes this, uh, this book such a, uh, uh, an important tool. It's uh, called How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, a Patient's Handbook for Survival by Dr. David Wilcox. Uh, David, we're getting close to the end of our time, and, and I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about what we're talking about. Now, obviously, the book is a good place to start, but what, um, 
what are some resources? Um, uh, for example, do you have a, do you have a website that talks about you and your work, past, present, and future, um, that you can share? Yes, I do have a website. It's drdavidwilcox.com. So it's drdavidwilcox with one L dot com, um, in which you can access information from there. But another good place to go is the CMS star ratings. So if you're if you're out there in the wild, that's what I call people who are out there and don't really know a lot about healthcare. You can go to this to that site and you can look at your local hospital, your doctor, your anesthesiologist, and see their star ratings. They're incentivized and get more reimbursement for being over four stars. So, like I I had to go to my local emergency room and I checked the star ratings and it was two. So I knew I was going to have a problem. But, uh, but if you want to know what quality outcomes are out there, that's what you do. You go to cms.gov, and then you look at those star ratings. The other thing you can do is go to Healthcare Blue Book. Healthcare Blue Book will give you a ballpark of what a surgery is going to cost in your area because you're not going to get that from the hospital. So if you see you're going to have a total knee, and you can see the average cost is 12000 at a hospital or 8000 at an ambulatory surgery center, you can begin that discussion with a doctor to say, hey, I'd really rather have it done at the ambulatory surgery center and save myself some money. Um, those are some excellent areas for reference that you can go to and that will help you in your healthcare journey. What's next for you, David? You know, Tom, I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about a second book. I, I recently uh, changed to a plant-based diet and lost a lot of weight and feel a lot healthier. And a lot of people don't know about that kind of stuff, but it works. Um, you know, so I'm thinking about that uh, and, and some other things. But right now, I just want to get this message out to the American people. I want you to be safe. I want you to be knowledgeable. And I want you to be a part of your health care team. Well, David, thanks so much for uh, spending this time with me this morning. And, and um, keep up the good work. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that spending time with you this morning and uh be safe people all right take care all right bye again that's uh dr david wilcox and he is the author of how to avoid being a victim of the american health care system a patient's handbook for survival and uh We've got lots, well, not lots more. We've got a little bit more of the Tom Sumner program coming up, and uh, I hope you'll stick around with us for that. And um, also let you know tomorrow we've got some uh, interesting things coming up on the show tomorrow. Let me, I got, I got about a minute here. Oh, we're going to talk about, in place of a musical guest, we're going to talk about with a uh, film historian about a new book about uh, American film noir called Street with No Name. Andrew Dickos is my uh, is one of my guests on tomorrow's show. And don't forget, if there's uh, something you know that you missed on the uh, on the show and you want to go back and, and hear a conversation with somebody go to uh, go to our website at TomSumnerProgram.com go to the audio tab and find the show archive 
and everything is listed hour by hour and by the name of the guest um, and you can scroll down through that and find uh, old interviews that maybe you missed so feel free to avail yourselves of that we're going to take a short break and then we're going to celebrate Schlocktober when we return hey <laughs> this is the unknown comic and guess what you're listening to the Tom Sumner show right now and now and now too and even now Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. upon a time you dress so fine you threw the bums a dime in your prime didn't you people call say beware doll you're bound to fall you thought they're all kidding you you used to laugh about everybody that was hanging out now you don't talk so loud now you you don't seem so proud about having to be scrounging for your next meal how does it feel How's it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a rolling stone. Now we've gone to the finest school, all right, Miss Lonely, but you know you only used to get juiced in it. And nobody ever taught you how to live on the street, and now you gotta get used to it. You said you'd never compromise with the mystery trap. But now you realize you ain't selling any alibis as you stare into the vacuum of his eyes and ask him, do you want to make a deal? How's it feel? How does it feel to be without a home? 
like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone. You never turned round to see the frowns on the jugglers and the clowns when they all came down and did tricks for you. Never understood that it ain't no good, you should let other people get your kicks for you. You used to ride on the chrome horse with your diplomat who carried on his shoulder a Siamese cat. Ain't it hard when you discover that he really wasn't where it's at after he took from you everything you could steal? How does it feel? Huh? How does it feel to be without a home like a complete unknown? Like a rolling stone. Princess on the steeple and all the pretty people drinking thinking they've all got it made, exchanging all kinds of precious gifts and things. But you'd better lift your diamond ring. You better pawn it, babe. You used to be so amused at Napoleon and his rags and the language that he used. Well, go to him now. He calls you. You can't refuse. When you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. Oh, you're invisible now. You got no secrets to conceal. How's it feel, how does it feel to be without a home? Like a complete unknown. Like a rolling stone. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom Sumner. Ground control the major town Take your protein pills and put your helmet on Ground control the major town Sing countdown engines on Check ignition and make God's love be with you Yeah. 
it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. There's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner program. Thanks for listening and thanks to all my guests Dr. David Wilcox talking about his book um, How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System A Patient's Handbook for Survival and before that we talked with uh, the author of The Space in Between, an empath's field guide by Sidney Myers Hovum and uh, Jack Lesenberry to start things out this morning. Good night, everybody. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.